Good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, coming to you from the Coming Home Network International Studios. And But you're hearing us over EWTN Radio. And uh, as I've said many times, it is a, uh, an awesome, to use Mother Angelica's word, a privilege to be involved with EWTN. Uh, in this particular program, which often is an offshoot of the Journey Home program, which you can watch on Monday nights on EWTN, in which each week I have the privilege of introducing to you men and women who followed our Lord Jesus home to the church, uh, often they don't have a chance on that program to get into Scripture, and so we often use Deep in Scripture for that. But also other times I'm able to have guests on Deep in Scripture that are just friends and, and uh, love the Lord and love Scripture, and they join us on the program to talk about uh, scriptures that are of particular interest to their journey or to their work uh, that they consider essential scriptures for us to understanding our own calling. And I think that's the case today. I, I invite to the program today a good friend, uh, Father C. John McCloskey. Uh, Father, you there? I'm here. It is, as I'm sitting here talking to you, even as I mentioned, it's been far too long. Uh, for us, uh, since we've been together, and it's but it's good to have you on the program today. Well, it's good to be on the program talking with you, and also particularly uh, examining this particular passage, and hopefully, it'll be of a great uh, utility for the spiritual life of the people who are listening to it. Those of you listening may recognize Father's voice. He has a number of programs on EWTN. Um, Father, you did a program on let's see Newman, of course, right. And you also had one, didn't you have one on the movements of the church? Spirit? Yeah, I had, a, I think, six or seven different uh, series I've done so far, Catholic mm-hmm. authors, uh, Catholic mm-hmm. church history, That's right. Cardinal Newman, uh, the new ecclesial movements, and yeah. one or two that don't, I don't remember right now, but they're, they continue <laughs> to be shown quite frequently, uh, which I'm happy, you know, very happy since they were done some years ago. Well, I know now you're working in Chicago, um, but, but one time that I especially had an opportunity to bump into you a lot was when you were in D.C. Yes. Uh, at the uh, uh, the Resource Center. Yeah, the Catholic uh, Information Center in Northwest Washington. Yeah, and I know when you were there, you had uh, the Lord had opened up a lot of doors for you to be influential in influential in bringing a number of folk to a deeper awareness of the church. Yes, I. Uh, that was. Uh, Great blessing. I guess it's one of those things, just because of my background, which yep. is, you know, kind of a bipolar, as I say, a person <laughs> who uh, basically has bounced back between New York City, where I went to college and worked professionally, and then Washington D.C., which is my home. And that's an, those are two cities that are, you run, you can run into people pretty yeah. easily. And um, happily, God used me to uh, bring some of them much closer to. Uh, to God and to the Church. For those of you that are listening that may not be as familiar with Father McCluskey's background, let me give you just a little bio. Father is a priest of the Prelature of Opus Dei, a native of Washington, D.C. He received a degree in economics from Columbia University. After working professionally on Wall Street for six years, he studied in Rome and Spain, where he received his doctorate in theology with a specialty in church history. He's ordained in Spain, 1981, he has spent much of his pastoral work counseling university students and fellow priests, offering spiritual direction and preaching retreats. Father John has done extensive work in radio and television, most notably, of course, on EWTN, where he has hosted, as he's mentioned, a series of variety of topics such as Cardinal Newman, Catholic authors, ecclesial movements, role of the lady in the church, which makes sense because of your work with Opus Dei against Father and Washington. Um, excuse me, I jumped down uh, Thomas More, History of the Church, and has worked as a commentator on papal trips. That's right. I remember you, you filled in a, a number of yeah. times when, when you've had that great privilege. Um, written extensively for periodicals such, periodicals such as Catholic World Report, First Things, Observe Vittor Romano, The Wall Street Journal, National Catholic Register, Washington Times, and the list goes on. But I also want to mention that you uh, have co-authored a number of books, um, uh, with Russell Shaw, Good News, Bad News, Evangelization, Conversion, and the Crisis of Faith, and you're the co-editor of The Essential Belloc, which is now available from St. Benedict's Press. You know, I, I I saw that, and I was wondering, are, is this starting the cause for Belloc? 
<laughs> well, that would be a little bit more difficult than Cardinal Newman. <laughs> Who knows what God? Uh, actually, some people talk about his great friend G.J. Chesterton being mentioned as for as a cause, but some of their habits might be might not quite pass muster. I'm I know. Actually, I've I like both Belloc and Chesterton, but I find myself much more comfortable reading Belloc than I have with Chesterton. I I love Belloc, especially his apologetic works. Yes in history uh, were so key to my own journey to mm-hmm. the Catholic Church. How the, uh, was it How the Reformation Happened, or, or uh, is that the book that, of course, you've got characters of the Reformation. Yes. And mm-hmm. uh, just such great books uh, that I strongly encourage anyone to read the books by Belloc. Well, the wonderful thing, he, there was no, he, uh, I think it was Evelyn Wall, the Catholic convert writer, who said that, that Belloc was the finest pro-stylist of the 20th century. That is, he's, he's clear as a bell, you know, yeah. and, and, and that's, I think, is good for all of us. We, we want to get it straight, and he certainly gives it to us that way. Well, my two favorite writers are both Brits, mm-hmm. and Evelyn Waugh liked both of them. Mm-hmm. Belloc would be the Catholic. Right. Uh, Woodhouse would be the non-Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think of any of ourselves, or any of our listeners, if ever you have a little downtime, you need some rest, you just pick up a Woodhouse. And, <laughs> I love and you're, it. You're in, as the, the expression is very the fancy expression, prelapsarian world, a world where original <laughs> sin never, never, never enters. Oh, it's a great, it's a yeah. great read. Yeah. Uh, you're exactly right. I love to escape into Woodhouse, sure. uh, Jeeves and Wooster. That's yes. the more recognizable. Of folk. Well, again, thank you so much. Um, you know, something that struck me, two things about your bio before we get into Scripture here. Yeah. One, you're with the priest of Opus Dei. There's a lot of people still taking pot shots at Opus Dei. I didn't know if you wanted to make a comment to our audience because, you know, I'm what's called a cooperator of Opus Dei, right. though I'm, I'm technically a really poor cooperator with Opus Dei because mm-hmm. of where I live. But mm-hmm. I, I truly believe in the spirituality of Opus Dei. And I didn't know if you wanted to make a comment about uh, uh, about your work. Well, let's put it this way: you know, when I was a seminarian in Rome in uh, in '78, uh, thanks be to God, I was present when Blessed John Paul was um, elected and yeah. came out on that balcony. And wow. and that summer, uh, the <clears throat> the summer after his election, he called a whole bunch of members of Opus Dei. Out to Casa Gandolfo on a summer night, and uh, and actually a summer morning. It was almost the whole day. We had mass with him in his private residence, and and the thing which I will never forget is a certain point he said, Monsignor Escrivá. That's what he was known as then. That is uh-huh. you know, Jose Maria Escrivá was the man who presaged the spirituality of the laity decades before the Second Vatican Council yeah. ratified it. And I, that was all we needed to hear <laughs> and all I need to say. And, and as a result of that, now, by no means is the late the spirituality is something that's open for everybody, but St. Rosemary clearly was a pioneer in, say, in see, seeing that, and the holiness in the middle of the world, and also, which is something which is very dear to both of us, and I'm sure our listeners, is the importance of evangelization. Yeah. And it's not simply limited to, obviously, to the clergy or to religious, but it's, it comes with uh, our b- baptismal character that we're all called to be evangelists, through, not simply through our, uh, our, our um, good example we give, but also, mo- and very importantly, through the Word. Mm-hmm. And that's speech, and it's also the type of work that you and I are involved in. And I think another important thing that that uh, uh, that he did, which I think is still needed today, of course, mm-hmm. and that is calling men in the workplace to recognize their call to holiness and living their faith, to emphasize that that our faith is not just a woman's religion. Oh yes, you know that that, that very much a manly call to live sacrificial life. And, and of course, you know, this is more and more important. Uh, the, the, the more we see our society in many areas declining, the more and more important it is for people to understand that, yes, that we go to our church for spiritual sustenance, in the case of Catholics, and the, the most particularly sacraments and good preaching, so on. But the place of the layperson is not in the sanctuary. The place of the layperson yeah. 
is in the world, and that a, a church, uh, uh, the Catholic Church in any case, is a place where I always like to talk about it as a, as a gas station, <laughs> which is where you get your gasoline, it's where you get the, the, the lubricant, uh, you're polished up, but the whole idea is uteatis, is this Latin expression, is out, go out into the whole world. Hmm? I've often wondered to what extent um, Escriva's influence was on John Paul when John Paul wrote Christopher de Leici. I think it was very much there because he was, he was familiar. He, in fact, he had visited and prayed at the tomb of St. Josemaria uh, just before he was elected. And so clearly it was, it was very much there. And indeed, Pope Benedict, in uh, one of his last uh, trips, I think the one to Germany, quoted St. Josemaria, you know, mm-hmm. which is a, you know, it's, it's, a nice, it's a nice sign. Yeah, and I'm sorry, audience, uh, the, the, I mentioned Christophus Leici, that was John Paul's, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was encyclical or, or a letter. On, it was a letter right at the beginning of his pontificate. But it's on the, the faithful in yes. Christ, on the right. work of the laity as the front-line evangelists yes, of the Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other thing I've got to mention this, Father, before we get into Scripture, in your bio, you spent some time on Wall Street. I did indeed. There's a lot of people mad at Wall Street today. Now, we don't want to get into politics in this program, but you came out. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that. I, fa- um, I have to be careful here, but I, know. <laughs> I, I will say, you know, generally, I, one of my time on Wall Street was an absolute delight. Uh, lots of very serious Christian there. Believe it or not, and maybe some of our viewers will find our viewers or listeners, I should say, should find it hard to believe. But generally, the great majority of people, by far, are very fine yeah, and honest people, and they're no more greedy than anyone else. Uh, and it's one of the beautiful things about Wall Street, generally, is your word is is your word. Mm-hmm. That is, you don't sign papers. You know, when a person says, "I want to buy this or buy that," you trust them. So I think uh, Wall Street generally has gotten a bad rap. Yeah. And, uh, without going into politics at all, I think the. The, the problems have to, are more societal, and they're also more, let us say, at the government level than they are because there's these kind of greedy people on Wall Street who are <laughs> destroying, you know, destroying the society and well, culture. Well, and I'm, I'm glad you had that chance to say that because yes. I agree with you 100%. I've yeah. known people also that, that mm-hmm. trade on Wall Street, and uh, it's, it's evolved, to use that word, sure. into a, a difficult animal because yes. of the media. Yes. And because of the Internet and the ability to make changes quickly. Yes. So quickly, and the influence of, uh, is I'm not sure we've got a handle on that animal yet. And that's part of the problem today. It will take, it's, it's going to take time for us to adjust to the speed of things. And also, yeah. when I was on Wall Street in the, in the 1970s, yeah, I was in the, uh, the headquarters of the particular company I worked for, and it was, you know, a building with 20 stories. <laughs> and now it's everything. The market is 24 hour, 24-7 throughout the yeah. world. You know, so yeah. it's going to take a long time. But all in all, I think it's, it's good because in a certain way, uh, it's, it's, it's the material communion of the saints. So I'm all in favor of Internet and communication. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think it's not quite as quick as the communion of the saints because prayer is even quicker than the yep. Internet. So we got to use it and respect it, but also obviously use it in a way that's moral and towards God's glory. All right. Well, thank you, Father John. Let's let's look at the scripture you've chosen, uh, a familiar story, often called the story of the rich young ruler. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're looking at the Luke passage, right. Luke 18, 18 to 30. Before I read it, just to refresh the the reader's memory of it, why don't you quickly, why you chose this passage for us today? Well, I'm a man who uh, preaches lots of retreats, and I've always been struck by this passage from that, uh, because it's included, I think, three times in, in this scripture. Mm-hmm. Also because uh, John Paul the Great has used it uh, in more than any other uh, uh, scripture passage, that is, except the only other one, of course, is the one of the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but... He used it again and again, you know, his letter to youth, and just, he, he obviously was talking about the importance of, of this rich young man and the choice that he had to make, and, and clearly, some, I'm sure in his own life, and of course in many of us, it's a choice he had to make. We're, we're called, but we're hesitant. You know, can we leave all behind? Is it worth it or not? 
So whenever I preach retreats, normally it doesn't matter whether it's to old ladies or it's to uh, young uh, college students. Uh, I always try and do a whole meditation on it because there's so much, so much there, which hopefully we'll examine uh, right now. Well, as you said, this is in all the mm-hmm. the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right. and as John says, you know, you can't. He, they couldn't include everything Jesus said, did, mm-hmm. so they were selective. Right. Uh, and so the point that you make, this is all three of the Synoptic Gospels, emphasize that this event in the life of Christ said a lot to the early Christians. Yes. And that is significant. Let me read it, and I will say again to the audience, uh, that not only was it important to you, Father John, but... This was the text that sealed the decision for myself when I left engineering to go to seminary. Again, understand, Lord, what are you telling us in this passage? And that's what I'd like the audience to think about for yourselves. What is the Lord saying in this uh, story in Scripture to you? Yes. So let me read it, Father, and then uh, let's, we'll jump into it and start analyzing it. Beginning with verse 18, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have observed from my youth. And when Jesus heard it, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. And when he heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. Jesus, looking at him, said, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, Lo, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no man who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive manifold more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. All right, Father. John, this is interesting. As I read that, I realized there are elements of this uh, story in the way that John, that Luke tells it that are slightly different than yes. you find in Mark and Matthew. That's true. That's true. One of, the, one of the things I just mentioned at the beginning is one of the other passages, and uh, it says Jesus, looking at him, loved him, yes, or that... conceived a love for him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really significant. Yeah. <laughs> And part of the reason I think it's significant, and I say this in a certain sense, in a jocular sort of way, is, you know, our Lord had, you know, is true God and true man. He's a, he's a divine person, but he had a human nature and has a human nature in heaven. But he, in his human nature, he might have said, boy, you know, I can't trust uh, this guy Judas, you know, he's <laughs> following me. And, I, you know, I know, and of course, in his, in his divinity, he knew uh, the, the betrayal, and, you know, and Judas is stealing from from the treasury, or he, or he might have been thinking, "Gee, this man Peter, who's you know he's such who I he's the rock upon which I built the church, but boy, <laughs> he keeps putting his foot in it. He says stupid things, he acts stupid, and, <laughs> and I think when the time comes, I think he's going to betray me." <laughs> and then he's looking, and then here comes, as it says, in, not in this particular, not in, in uh, Luke, but in others. It says this rich young man ran through the crowd and then then knelt down in front of him. Yeah. So and he conceived a love for him. So he's saying to himself, "Well, this could be a man who could be a great apostle. You know, this could be one, maybe even take take Peter's place <laughs> if we could if we could put it that way. Obviously, uh, but that's that's what really strikes me is this this is a good he he he's a rich he's a rich young man." He comes from a good family, good money, probably. Uh, maybe he's an aristocrat. Maybe he's kind of a, 
you know, a part of the Herod group, but perhaps he spent, uh, you know, a, a junior year abroad in Rome, you know, was working with uh, Claudius. <laughs> and, and here he is in front of Jesus Christ, a good man. He's a good guy. Yeah. And, and, he, and, he's, and he also shows uh, no human respect, as we say. That is, he's not worried about what he looks like, even though you don't see aristocrats running around <laughs> and, and putting themselves in the midst of a kind of a rabble crowd of, of a Galilean fishermen and, and kneeling down and saying, Lord, you know, what must I do to gain eternal life? You know, I'm wondering, Father, uh, that as you're describing him, that he he seems to emerge from the scriptures as a truly unique individual yes. mm-hmm. because normally when you think of the crowd normally you've got the, the uh, I don't want to use class system imagery but you've got the usual lower group of folk the regular folk yes. the people of the land right mm-hmm. and then behind them are the pharisees and scribes who have specifically come to analyze critique Mm-hmm. Uh, figure out Jesus. So well said. You, and then all of a sudden, between these two groups of folk emerges this man mm-hmm. that is is different, and he does something, maybe again, talk about that, the way he presents himself before the people of the land and the Pharisees surely got their attention. Yes. Most, most, and, you know, I was, when I was listening to you just now, I was thinking, well, for all we know, we know he might have been of uh, a nephew of uh, of Joseph of Arimathea. Yeah. <laughs> I think, and I don't know if you're going to bring this out later in discussion, but I've read some early fathers that uh, suggested he might be Barnabas. Yeah, that's interesting. In other words, you know, that spin on the story, which is right. kind of Paul Harvey's The Rest of the Story, right. implies that though this story itself ends with a negative, it doesn't mean that his journey was over. Well, that is fascinating. I like that because oftentimes when I preach about this uh, particular passage, you know, I make the point very strongly to remember the rich young man lives. <laughs> and was, that's, we're not dealing in other words, he's in heaven or he's in hell or, or, or maybe a very long purgatory. You know, what happened to him? Where did he go? Who was he? Did he? Did he? Was he? Did he see this as the moment, the great moment, which he blew? Yeah. Or, or perhaps did he get married and, and to you know to Miss Jerusalem of the year thirty-five, or <laughs> you know, and have a big family and then became a Catholic, you know, became a Christian in any yeah. case, well, which is the same thing for us. But you know, it, and then maybe he was one, or maybe he didn't. Maybe he he is Barnabas. You know, it's. A, I mean, that's a fascinating story yeah. from the early days of the church tradition. Yeah. Um. And uh, let's this first question, though, that he asks. I mean, he comes in obeisance to to right. Jesus. Right. Um, you know, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Would that have been a normal question for them to ask? Uh, well, not really. In some ways, because as you know, and even to this day, the Jews have a very inchoate. <laughs> yeah. uh, understanding, if any, of what happens. Yeah. And of course, that's some of the, you know, the the, the uh, kind of the confusion in the, in the conflict between the Sadducees and the Pharisees in terms of what happens afterward. Mm-hmm. And even to this day, in Orthodox Judaism, not not even speaking of the those that are not Orthodox Jews, they still don't really have it clear there what what happens. So, yes, as I always I, I try and mention when I preach. This man asks the only question is worth asking. Yeah. <laughs> no one, there's no other. Once you know, when I whether you know, it might have been when you were two, ten years old, and your your grandmother died, or you were six, and and someone else died, then you you say, what happens after death? Yeah. And then the next question is, what must I do to gain eternal life? We're going to take a, a break. When we come back, I want you to focus on that operative word, do. Mm-hmm. All right. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Father C. John McCluskey, and hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. 
This Deep in Scripture radio program is produced by the Coming Home Network International, a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. You can listen to any of our past radio programs by logging onto our website, which also offers a wealth of information on our Catholic faith, including conversion stories, an online forum, and available resources to help you to find the truth of our faith. Visit us today at www.deepinscripture.com. Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for WINGS, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the WINGS link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your WINGS today. CH Resources is excited to offer you Marcus Grodi's latest book, Thoughts for the Journey Home. If you're not Catholic but are looking seriously at the Catholic Church, or if you've recently entered the Church, this book will provide you with wisdom and encouragement for the journey. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, it makes a great gift for family and friends you're hoping will come home. To order a copy, visit our website at chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Father C. John McCluskey. We're looking at Luke 18, the story of what's often called the rich young ruler, the rich young man. And uh, Father, before the break, I want to draw our attention to the word do. What should I do? And the reason that, you know, all the verses that follow, Jesus follows along with his question because I know you're very much involved in evangelization, uh, Father John, and you know as well as I do that a lot of people out there that think that the Christian faith is not doing, it's believing alone. Well, you know, when I preach this, I, um, my, my take on it is what it gives us, obviously, is the Ten Commandments, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. that's, in other words, if we live the Ten Commandments to the best of our ability, at least in a Catholic context, uh, when we sin, to acknowledge our sin and have the sins forgiven uh, by the Church and by Jesus Christ himself. But you know, the way I look at this is I think in some ways he was giving us a hint uh, that all those people who are all, in other words, Jesus Christ died for everybody throughout the world without question. But for those people who have not yet been evangelized or have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, I think this gives us an insight as the Church teaches, that it's possible for people who do, not, who do not belong to the Church officially or formally can be saved, is if they live, mm-hmm. if they live the Ten Commandments, which are the, both the natural law and the revealed law. Now, where, what, what happens after this is, I always like to point out, uh, <clears throat> the, 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 it's beautiful. This fellow is a great guy, as if we put it that way, because he really... Was a clean liver. I mean, to say, how many how many of us could say at that age, let's say in his late teens or early mid twenties, that I've I've kept all of these. You know, that's a pretty remarkable statement for uh-huh. someone. And but to my mind, he, at that point, he could have walked away and said, "Oh, okay, well I have that answer." <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't, and that's where the the opportunity comes up, but also the problem starts, you see, because for some people, it's not simply living the Ten Commandments. That is, if you've been given greater gifts, you're called to give greater service, greater love, you see. Mm-hmm. And what he, you know, he, our Lord looks at him, and as we say, you know, he conceived, had conceived that love for him, and then he gives the, you know, the big one, the big one, you know, the, 
when Jesus heard that, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Which basically, I mean, we can, we can go through the passage, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But he's basically talking about what uh, blessed John Paul talks about more than anything else, the sincere gift of self. Mm-hmm. I just don't want you to observe the commandments, although that's a good and holy thing, and that's, that's kind of the, 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 the bottom that least you can do. But I want you to be one of my closest followers. I want you to love me with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want you to be with me. And that's what I think is so because it's kind of chilling and thrilling at the same time for any of us who listen to that. You know, the, often, in, especially in the Gospel of John, when he speaks about eternal life, he expresses it not only something that we're going to experience in the future, but as a present walking reality. Yes. So what I see in this man also, and I know John Paul expressed Uh this, is that this man is asking essentially, I've done Uh what I've been told how to live my faith, and yet I don't sense the nearness with God that I want. Well said. Um, and Catholic spirituality throughout has always looked at there's kind of an ascetical phase and then a mystical phase of our spiritual walk, at which point the first part is when we do all we're called to do, and then at some point the Holy Spirit kind of takes over or changes. We can't make it happen. Right. But it involves, as you said, a gift of self, a letting go and we see that in this passage. Yes, and a trust that if the Lord's calling me, he'll give me the graces and the help and the friendships and the confirmation in order to fulfill whatever the particular plan that he has for me, and that it's worth giving up everything, not only for heaven, but also the beauty of, of a life dedicated to God, and as we were talking about earlier on the program, which it can be done by anybody. It's, you know, it's yeah. not simply a question of, of a so-called vocation. Is that all of us, I mean, this is the root of the Second Vatican Council, is the universal call to holiness. And all of us, he calls all of us, and we're all, and we're all capable if, no matter, what, no matter what our weaknesses are, if we put ourselves in the hands of the Lord and His Spirit, and we have enormous happiness... Not, with, uh, not without ups and downs, because we're human beings in this life, and then assuredness of, of uh, life with the Lord forever in heaven. His question in the midst of this crowd, maybe, maybe one of the main reasons it was always so important in all the Gospels, is because he wasn't merely asking the question for himself. He's asking the question, the, like you said, the question for everybody. Right. The the Pharisees and the scribes who were in the back of the crowd should have been asking this question to Jesus, yeah. but their pride wouldn't let them. Well said. The people of the land, mm-hmm. because of their culture, mm-hmm. was not their place mm-hmm. to speak out. You might have the blind or the, mm-hmm. the leper reaching out because of their despair, but the average person. So this man, being led by the Holy Spirit, asks has the wherewithal, because of his position in society— to ask the question, yes, and he does it. I mean, that's the beauty of it, mm-hmm. and even the Lord's loving him because he does it. He opens the door to this great question. And what about the what about the the the, the challenge of Jesus? Then it says it in Mark: Go, sell, give away, follow me. I mean, that's kind of the synopsis of it. Well, we're called to give. Everything now, in his case, <laughs> perhaps for some of us, if we're asked to give away everything, uh, maybe we don't have that much. <laughs> it's not yeah. as hard. But he clearly was, you know, a, a conceived love for him. He was a handsome guy. He was physically fit. He was young, from a good family. You know, had uh, you know, uh, you know, membership at the uh, Bethlehem uh, Golf Club. Uh, you know. Had, had, you know <laughs> Yeah. And so he, our Lord went at the point which the one thing that he didn't 
you know, he didn't want to give up, which could have been wealth. It could have been an engagement. Uh, it could have been politi- you know, a political future. As a, who knows? But he put his finger and said, okay, if you, if you really want this, this is what you've got to give up. And the poor guy, I mean, we feel for him, <laughs> don't we? I mean, <laughs> or perhaps, perhaps there are people who are listening now who've had that moment at one point, and maybe they were generous, maybe they were not. Who knows? That doesn't mean their salvation is, uh, is necessarily at risk, but if you want to be close to Christ, he, he's not going to say, okay, just give up around 20% and, and you'll be a good guy. He, he says, if you want to be near me, get ready. Because uh, we're going on an adventure, you know. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings, yeah. <laughs> you know. And uh, you're dope, you know. You're you're uh, Sam Gamgee or somebody. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to go through all types of this, that, and the others, but it's worth it because what what is the end is is everlasting life with with Christ and, and the the Father and the Holy Spirit. This, this I hadn't thought about this before, but this this man coming into this crowd reminds me of some of our saints. Mm-hmm. Who uh, were you know made acts of their faith like Saint Francis? Yes, that was contrary to the family's yes. understanding of what they were to do with their life. Right, and there's a number of of great saints that this wasn't what Dad wanted them to do. Right, and I could have envisioned this story that this man was not there by himself. That maybe he was there in a clutch of his. Family, could be his dad, his mother, right? And there's they got a unique, special place in the balcony Mm -hmm. for their family, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden the dad is shocked Mm -hmm. because his son leaves the protection of their wealthy family clutch, goes down into the the rabble, and kneels before this man, like the image of Saint Francis, and said, "What I do? What 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 I need to do?" What do I need? To, whatever it is, what do I need to do? Yes. And you know, he's faced with that decision. His answer is sadness. Talk about that, Father. Well, it's, you know, it's, I don't say whether in this. I'm looking at it once again as whether it's in this particular one, but in you know, some of the some of the translations or the stories, it says when he heard this. Well, it's two things which are really, really great things. One is his face fell. Yeah. <laughs> And boy, what a what a expression that is, you know, because it's a very strange expression. But we all know what it means, you know. You know, you're someone like yourself, and you're a Cleveland Browns fan or something, you know. And you, <laughs> you think you may actually, you know, get in the playoffs, and then a last second uh, field goal by the other team means you don't, and you have all that expectation, your eyes and excitement. And then, boom! <laughs> oh yeah, your face, and you know, in a whole stadium in Cleveland, all the faces fall. <laughs> you know, they have the it's the glint and the glint yeah. in the eye, and then they're all oh no! It almost makes you wonder, Father, what what was he expecting? Because the answer Jesus gave him was different than he was hoping to hear. Well, I think he was something a little bit more, <laughs> a little less demanding. <laughs> yeah. Or kind of a pat on the back and say, "Listen, you were an honorary member of the apostles, and uh, <laughs> we count on your support in the future. And we're going to need your influence and so on." But he wasn't expecting to be asked of everything. Yeah, yeah. Because he, there was prophecy in there. There was a pride, uh, and we all have it. But and there was kind of a certain sense of a kind of self-reliance and, "Hey, I'm a pretty good guy." And maybe because he's been a kind of a good boy all his life, yeah. <laughs> and he's used to being affirmed in that. You know, he's the pride of our family. Maybe and, when he walks here, through, here he's got this this miracle worker who he he's absolutely fascinated with, and he wants to get uh, as we say approval. He wants to be affirmed by Jesus, and our Lord is affirming to him until the point when he he puts forward the challenge, and the man is not up for it. And then the next phrase is really great. It, it's uh, "abiet triste," which is. Latin for he went away sad. Hmm. Oh boy, <laughs> yeah. you know. So he goes from all, ecstasy almost. I mean, joy and this, this and what, and he's got the answer and he's going along, and then he realizes, boy, I, I you know, I don't have it. You know, I, I can't do this. And it's a sad. It's almost could make you cry for him. Yeah, it's not anger. 
No. It's sadness. It's sadness. He's sad. In other words, maybe he would like to make this sacrifice. Yes, he just can't. And I've encountered people on the journey. Of course. That would love to make a deeper walk with Christ. Right. But because of the constraints. Right. The attachments. Yes. That maybe in honesty they they realize that at least at that point in their life, I want to, but I can't. Oh, of course, no. Well, listen, you're 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 a wonderful, particular apostolate uh, out there with you know so many of our uh, our brethren in Christ who are not fully members of the church. I mean, you must encounter this all the time, and it's understandable. We have a great sympathy and understanding, and also, yeah. and I you know, is the old the expression goes, "It ain't over till it's over." <laughs> yeah, right. You know, in other words, it, <laughs> at this particular moment, uh, it's. Incredibly difficult, and of course, you, you know you have many dozens, if not hundreds, who who have really done what the rich young man did. They've left a, a secure position behind, yeah. not knowing what the future is going to bring. And so, and so he, that is the, the freedom is there. I mean, he could have said, "Yes, I'm going to follow you now," but he did not. Let's take another break, Father John. When we come back, uh, you know, especially with the rest of the passage. Maybe some words of encouragement and challenge to our audience. You know, what do we take from this passage for our lives? Yes. All right. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Father C. John McCluskey. You're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are interested in learning more about our Catholic faith, or if you know someone who is interested in becoming Catholic, please visit our website at www.chnetwork.org or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Father C. John McCluskey. We're looking at Luke chapter 18. Father John, there was a, an account in, this, in the Gospels where I think Jesus and the, uh, the apostles are out in a boat, and the issue of the leaven of the Pharisees comes up, and Jesus realizes that his apostles just don't get it. Mm-hmm. And he reminds them of the, the two times that he uh, talked about of being aware of the leaven of the Pharisees. In other words, the, the, the apostles themselves are on a spiritual journey themselves. Sure. And it seems that the rest of this passage, you know, Jesus has just talked to this man, and his apostles are sitting there watching this happen, and, right. and the man walks away sad, and it, the apostles, in their answer to Jesus, they don't quite get it, because they're saying, hey, <laughs> we left everything, and Jesus is saying, you know, essentially this man obeyed the commandments, but there was something more, deeper, you guys are saying you left everything. You still don't get it. There's still something deeper in your lives. Yes. That they hadn't quite got it yet. Right. And so he, but he talks about the fact that nothing is impo- is impossible for God. So what do we what do we take from this for our lives? Father? Well, in part, I mean, in, in sense of this rich young man, they they probably say, well, this. If this guy can't do it, how <laughs> how can we? And also in another uh, section, you know, in one of the other Gospels, when they, they describe this, he talks about this, you, you know, that you, no one who's left his house or wife or brothers or sister for my sake will not receive many times more in this life, in the coming age, life eternal. However, in the, in the other, one of the other passages says, and also persecution. Yeah. <laughs> which, yeah. Is, which is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. That is... I mean that if uh, it means if to realize to to give ourselves completely to the Lord um, is no picnic as such. I mean there's a, there's a sureness, there's a happiness, and even a joy inside. But as many of us are aware of today, even in our own country, the culture, the <clears throat> the um, the environment is one that to be a Christian may mean uh, persecution means suffering is you're not going to be uh, as prosperous or you'll be looked down upon or you'll who knows or you perhaps you'll be in jail and so i think we just have to realize we have to walk with jesus christ and that 
that walk is not only watching and seeing the miracles, which you and I, thanks be to God, have seen all over the place. I'm talking in miracles of the soul, yeah. of conversions, of people changing their lives, of happiness, of vocations. But that also involves the, you know, the cross. Mm-hmm. And that's what the rich young man was not willing to pick up. And even the apostles, of course, those, those that were following him during those two and a half or three years, basically they were... Uh, it was like being in Disneyland or something. They were seeing <laughs> wonders, uh, miracles by the dozens, hundreds, or even thousands, and and uh, and the most sublime, sublime preaching that could be imagined, and thousands of people following him from one place to the other, and many of them were still not completely detached, to put it mildly, from the world. Yeah. And a lot of them still, evidently, had a sense. Well, gosh, you know what. We're going to get those Romans out of here. We're going to over, you know, overthrow this Herod, you know, this, this half-breed, and who's uh, playing footsie with the Romans. And then Jesus is going to come into his kingdom, and we're going to be there with him. <laughs> You're right. You know, and I mean that they, it's kind of exaggerated, but that's to some extent. And they, just, uh, we keep saying they, like us, a lot of times just don't seem to understand that the way of the cross is the way to heaven. But 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 if you have that joy of following the Lord, you 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 willingly carry that cross. This passage ends with you know who will receive manifold more in this time yes. and in the age to come eternal right. life. I feel like I'm introducing a subject that we can't fully deal with in this program. Sure. But traditionally, from all through the history of the church, there's been this understanding of there's salvation. Yes. But then there's the experience of the beatific vision mm-hmm. forever. Right. And in 1 Corinthians 3, when it talks about the purging that a person goes through after death, yes. depending on how you've built on the foundation of our Lord Jesus, wood, hay, or stubble, or, or precious gems, as a representative of how we've lived our life in grace, will determine... Yeah, the, the person that says in 1 Corinthians it will be saved mm-hmm. by grace, but yet there's more. Yes. Matthew's 5 in the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount talks about the rewards of heaven. Yes. The Council of Florence talked about the experience of the beatific vision dependent yes. on on uh, how we've lived this life. We use the word merit, but uh, you know how we've lived this life. Oh, most certainly that God will reward us. The more faithful we are, the more daring we are, the more we suffer for his cause, we are going to be closer to him in heaven. And, you know, the, I wasn't brought up Catholic, but the nuns always talked about different size cups, right? Yes. You know, the, what we experience in the eternal walk with our Lord Jesus afterwards, we'll, we will be totally satisfied. Yes. But how we live this life now will have an effect on how we experience eternity. Yes, and where we are, so to speak, in the hierarchy. Some of us will be much closer to the Holy Trinity than others. I mean, all of us, as you said, using that analogy, will all be ecstatically happy being where we are, but there are gradations. You know, yeah. that's, if there weren't, I mean, this goes back, you know, obviously, and you know as former Protestant minister yourself, is, you know, this, it's not just, you know, uh, <clears throat> close and shut, you know, I'm saved or I'm yeah. not saved. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot more complicated than that, because God is just, which means he obviously is going to reward <clears throat> people more who are more faithful to him, and who have have suffered more as a result of being a disciple of the Lord in this life. And those of you who might be listening wonder, where are you guys coming from? This is Scripture. Yes. We're not talking about just Catholic tradition. We're right. talking about Scripture right. and how you deal with these passages. These passages. And, and I think what's key in this passage, Father, it's not the works themselves. Mm-hmm. It's the heart. Yes, absolutely, because... As long as we have the good heart, I mean, we may try everything and be <laughs> a failure. Which God wants our heart and our mind, and but all of us, you know, we we're weak, uh, yeah. and and He recognized that. He He just wants us to, to be willing and try to do the best we can given our circumstances, and He's overjoyed by that because we're His children. You know, we're His little tiny children <laughs> who were kind of bumbling around and falling downstairs and. And he and he just loves to see us trying, and then he picks us up, you know, and holds us, and, and you know, he and and uh, gives us a kiss and says, "Keep now, keep trying, and you'll be with." And then as you get old, you'll be with me forever. That's the way to look at it. We have to be very small. 
Yeah, in the big context of all that we see in, in Scripture, it isn't the things that this man gave up or even the act right. of giving it up or, or they're giving up home or fire. Mm-hmm. It's what's going on in the motives of their heart yes. mm-hmm. of why they're giving it up, which is, that's the Sermon on the Mount. Yes. Uh, being perfect as our Heavenly Father is right. perfect means this detachment. Right. Uh, who we are is not what we have. No, no, by no. In fact, it's, <laughs> the more we have in a material sense, the more dangerous it is, because the more the more dangerous the uh, the attachment. Therefore, that's why gift, gift, gift. We always have to look for giving. He did, he did say something like how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom right? of God. Yes, and it isn't just because when we get to the door, our pockets are so full we can't get through the door. It's what's in our heart, right? Yes. I mean, that's that's really the issue. Yeah. Well, for many people, you know the. When we talk about uh, the doctrine of purgatory, it's it's. I mean, there may we may be in purgatory because we've not done sufficient reparation for past offenses against our Lord. But oftentimes, I think, particularly in our society or cultures, I mean, people are so at, still attached to television, <laughs> <laughs> right. you know, or movies, or yeah. um, food, or drink, or any number of things which aren't in themselves bad, but. There's, our Lord wants everything from us, and what He offers to us is, 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 is as they say, it's not commensurable. I mean, it's, it's so far above these petty things that we become attached to in this life, and that we want to cut those att- attachments. Father, could we end with your blessing? Most certainly. Heavenly Father, may God bless all the people who are listening to this particular uh, radio show. Bless them, bless their families, and also that they also be as generous as the apostles were in following Christ to the cross, realizing that in doing so, they will assure themselves a place in heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you, Father John. If the people wanted to contact you or find out more about you, is there a website? Yeah, it's the easiest one in the world. It's fathermccloskey.com. I mean, if you just... Go on there and put up my name uh, in the, your web search. You'll come up in all my archive work there and uh, YouTube's and you name it. It's all there. <laughs> M-C-C-L-O-S-K-E-Y. Correct. All right. Well, thank you again, Father John. It's been okay. great to have you on the program. Wonderful. Thank you. And all of you who have joined us today, thank you. hope this has been encouragement to you to, uh, to keep studying and praying this particular passage of Scripture. It was important to the Scripture writers it's important to our lives and it's because it challenges us to make sure our attachments are not to this world but to our Lord Jesus completely as a gift of self to him and all that we have. God bless you. See you soon.